Okay, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's pick it up, though. Open your Bibles. If you need a Bible, it's in the back, too, by the way. You can help yourself. But let's start in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Paul's letter to the Galatians. He spent a lot of time to this point um, talking about our freedom. Brian's been teaching about our freedom in Jesus, that we are no longer brought captives in slavery that is trying to live according to the righteous standards of the law. The law itself is righteous, good, holy, but we are incapable of really fulfilling it as we should. And thus, we're in dire need. And we could either meet that need of acceptance of the Father in the flesh, trying to earn our way to fulfill the law we could never fulfill in the first place, or we can turn to the free gift of grace, which Paul unpackages in this letter. And so when you get to chapter 5, he's starting to really implore us, don't leave the Spirit behind in your journey with God. Walk in the Spirit. Invite the Spirit. Pour out your heart before the Spirit in humility and submitting to Him, and He will bring fruit from your life. And so he's going to talk about if you're left your own devices or just you yourself without the Spirit, things like this develop. What are they? He lists them. The works of the flesh are evident, verse 19 which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, and then the, rat, and, and the list goes on. So basically, if you want to look at that really rosy picture of what we're like, left our own devices, mankind will not get better as we're left on our own. We'll only get worse. Uh, you, you, you leave a society without laws, it doesn't become utopia. It becomes chaotic just by virtue of who's involved. Us, left our own flesh, that's what kind of happens. That's the fruit that's the forthcoming of that situation. Now, he contrasts that, and he says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not just our spirits, that's not it. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what? Well, look at this list. It says, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and he adds this, against such things there is no law. And what is he saying? Why is he saying that? Does that discount the law of God? No, quite contrary. He says this. He says, you're going to naturally do the things that God requires when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is inside you working to transform you from the inside out so that your heart has different motives, so your mind thinks on different things, so your physical body is used to be a blessing and not distracting others from him. You're going to be transformed from the inside out, and thus, what's going to happen is the Spirit, not you, but the Holy Spirit taking residence in you will bring these things forth as fruit of the Spirit. So, how much are you to get credit for the good things that are coming forth from your life in terms of these fruits that are listed here? Zero goose egg. How much does the flesh get credit for the things of the world that are destructive? Every, 100%. And they're warning against each other. So he gives us these lists, not that we can say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't uh, been lewd, haven't had lewdness for a while. You know, I'm pretty good in sorcery. I don't really dabble with that very much. Um, I'm pretty kind, so that's good. I'm pretty, I got a check on that box. No. No, not at all. Missing the entire point. The point is what? We're dependent on the Holy Spirit. As we submit to the Holy Spirit, he brings forth transformation in our lives, and the fruit that comes forth, we do not claim. Why? Because it's fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not saying that we become God in any way. He's saying that we are dependent on the Spirit. If you go independent and not walk in accordance to the Holy Spirit, what happens is you end up with fruit that's on the list of the flesh. You with me? So, love, peace, joy, long-suffering, self-control, all those things that we long for, don't strive in your flesh to accomplish them as if you could. What you do instead is this. You cry out to the Holy Spirit, especially when you need it, and say, Holy Spirit, let me be submitted unto you as you are God as a part of the Trinity, as the Father and the Son are, you can empower me to not act according to my flesh, wants to, that's lusting against what's right, but Holy Spirit, empower me to do and bring forth fruit that you want to bring forth so that others around me are blessed and not destroyed. And Brian's been doing an amazing job going through how we see these things, even we can get so distracted as Christians that we veer onto this path that says, Thanks, Spirit. I got it all under control. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to bring forth fruit by doing this. I'm going to give this. I'm going to get up early every morning. All of a sudden, we start putting on these new jackets of accomplishment that we're trying to duplicate, which only the Spirit can bring. Got it? So who are we dependent upon? The Holy Spirit. What is this fruit of? Us being submitted unto the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit belongs to whom? Who is the Holy Spirit given to? Those who have submitted themselves and received the free gift of salvation through Christ Jesus, the Son, who was sent to die in our place. The propitiation of our sins that were put upon him, where the full wrath of the holy God that judges sin was placed upon him so that we, through faith in him, can live lives anew in the Spirit. See, that's the door by which you're given the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, we're going to look at this a little bit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go away, and it's actually better for you that I do, because I'm going to send another helper your way. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. So the only people that have the Holy Spirit are believers, and not that we wear some badge on our chest that says, I have the Holy Spirit, and you don't, so there, mm, you know, The Holy Spirit is given to Christians because we've already submitted ourselves with the understanding that we fail, that we've lost the test. We've gotten an F on our exam against the holy, compared to the holy law of God. So we come as humble people saying, Jesus, it was enough to save me, and then you give me yourself in me of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing gift. We're looking at the second one in particular today, which is joy. Brian unpackaged love last week. Love, I love you so much, is a feeling. There's agape love that's sacrificial. Joy, likewise, a feeling of, um, well, how would you describe joy? Happy? Glad? What's that? Yeah, just happy. Um, Opposite of Scrooge or grumpy or uh, irritable, you know, we know what it means, right? But the question becomes, is it just a feeling or is there something more to it? 
Is, there, is, it, is it its own entity? Is it something that I grab a hold of, joy, and then I partake of it as I bring it to myself? Or is it something that's just emotionally a response to something good? And uh, that you strive for that. And I would say, yes, both are true. Both are undoubtedly true. And I'll tell you why. We'll go to the scriptures. First of all, let's look at the way that joy is an emotion, a gift, a fruit of the Holy Spirit where you can actually be joyful. You don't have to have a frown. You can actually be smiling. Even when, this is the key, even when you're going through everything that is a bummer and a trial. Okay? Everything. Every circumstance, death itself in the Bible is described as not having a sting. Is there anything worse in our minds than dying? And yet it's flipped on its head and saying, death, where's your sting? Why? Because this. Check this out. In defining joy, what the word means in the Greek, kara is the word in the Greek. There's several different words in the New Testament that are translated joy. One of the main ones is kara. We're going to see this why in a second. And it comes from another Greek word, kairo. And that is, it means to rejoice, be glad, have gladness, have joy. So to me, I read those words, and it's the opposite of melancholy, depressed, right? There's actually an emotional part of it. And in the scriptures, I'll show you really clearly why that is. Looking at this next slide, two scriptures in particular Angels are telling the saints, in both cases, to have joy. Now, you tell me what it means in these passages. Luke chapter 2. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great kara, which will be to all people. So, the shepherds who hear this, they're all, I refuse to smile. I have a hard life. And I don't care what the gift is, I'm going to be grumpy, I'm going to be mad, and I don't care who says what, especially an angel. Right? He's saying, hey, people, it's time to be really, 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 really crazy, make you do crazy things like dance, joyous. It's time. Why? Because the good gift has come. Jesus himself is here. So I tell you, when was the last time you actually got happy because you were saved, because you know that Jesus was given? It's actually reasonable. Next scripture, Matthew 28. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great what? Joy. Kara. Same word. Why? Because Jesus is alive again. He was alive, went to the cross. He rose from the dead, and we're supposed to say, yes, it's a very good thing that Jesus rose from the cross. Life is miserable. I hate it. No hope. No joy. No laughter. If you're going to be holy, you be quiet and still. You know, it's like joy. The angel saying, if you're not happy, if you're not glad, there's something seriously wrong. Why? Because you haven't looked at the real reality that Jesus came for you and he lives for you. And if he came, died, and rose again and is giving you the gift of being with him for all eternity, with the Father, 
purchased free of charge, like Galatians has been saying this whole time, nothing you can do to earn it. I tell you, is it not appropriate to be joyous and happy? Because some people will separate this out. Joy is not happiness. I will say that's wrong. Happiness is an integral part of joy and can happen during any season, even through the hardest of trial. You with me? There's a great distinction there. Well, there's joy. I'm going to go for joy. It's not happy. Happy's fleeting. It's an emotion. As if love as a feeling isn't valid, okay? Or peace as a feeling isn't valid. Joy as a feeling is valid. You know what David did when he got really pumped up? I wouldn't suggest this, but he strips down and he starts dancing in front of people, and he's like, I'm going to be even more undignified than this, right? Why? Because he was stoked on the Lord and his art coming into town. He's just like, there's a time to just get, I mean, guys, there's, there's all kinds of churches on the continuum of expression. I would say Calvary's slow in terms of expressing joy, you know, with an occasional shout of praise, dare we get too crazy, of like, thank you, Jesus, and actually having somebody else in our hearing in this room while we're worshiping hear it, there's actually a time for that. Give a shout of joy. A shout of joy. That's what we're called to do. So is it emotional? Absolutely, positively, 100%. Why? Because you're looking at the fact that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again for all of us. Sinful people that would never know the closeness or presence of God without that intervention on behalf of the Son. And the Holy Spirit's job, the fruit of the Spirit, is to remind you of that fact so that you can rejoice even as in the New Testament, it gets really wacky here, guys. Rejoice in, I say it again, rejoice in your trials. Why? Because there's always good news. You ever see a movie and then you know the character, the lead protagonist, is going to make it through all the explosions and all the, you know, he's against eight other people and uh, he's in a plane and it's going down in flames and and you've already seen the movie, and you could probably guess, even if you hadn't seen the movie, that he's going to survive, and not only that, prosper and get the medal by the president around his neck. It's always a good ending. As a Christian, you always have a good ending. And good, I'm trying to stretch good and expand it as big and as wide as I can. doesn't do it justice. The reality that you, as a sinful person that have made sinful decisions in your life in direct opposition to God, can actually know God, be received by God, forgiven of all your sin, there's an emotion to be had there, people. And I'll tell you, it's joy. So when you come to worship and you ask people, how can you be happy? All, literally, hell is breaking loose around your life. You, you lost your job, you, you're, you're financially strapped. You're, uh, you're sick, your family's sick, you, uh, you're, you're in going into debt, you have no retirement account, how are you happy? It's not an insulting thing to be happy in that case when you have a bigger truth, a bigger, happier ending, is it? It's not insulting. Now, you take Jesus out of the equation, it's completely insulting. I'll give you an example. You go by someone who's going through trial, and you're like, hey, I heard the funniest joke today. They can't even, they're just like not even in that space to say, yeah, uh, tell me that joke. I'd love to hear it. If I'm contemplating ending my life and somebody comes and wants to tell me a joke to make me feel better, it's insulting, is it not? 
But you come, and let's, let's use Japan as an example. You come, there's a picture of this lady, and she's sitting on this platform. All that was left around her was everything was rubble, and it, you could tell it was just washed all over the place. She's sitting here in anguish in the picture, and I remember thinking, what am I, what would I, what would I tell? If I was a, you know, God says, I want you to go talk to her, what would you bring? You can't bring jokes. What do you bring? You bring a bigger, happier ending. So that it's not insulting for that woman in total despair in the middle of destroyed Japan and say, there's a reason to rejoice right now. Okay? Emotion. It's got to be there. If you don't have joy, you're suppressing it because the Spirit wants it to come forth. Now, we're just going to yell for the sake of yelling during our worship services? No. It's genuine, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? It's not, we don't work up the Spirit. He comes down. Okay? So, in that, absolutely. So the number one reason for feeling joy, to rejoice, to be glad, according to Galatians, is Jesus came and he lives right now. Thus you've been saved through faith, from slavery to the world to the law, a child of his and headed to heaven. You're not in need of further actions to earn the love, the favor of the Lord. Galatians would be clear on that. You've been given the Holy Spirit who enables you to live anew and you are loved forever. Is that emotional joy? Is that reason to be happy? Yes, it is. Does it matter if you're going through trial? We're really not really. And that's not an insult. That's just the reality that there's a bigger ending. So, does it stay there? No. The New Testament gives us a bigger picture of joy. It's something we can experience now as emotion, but it's also something to be had, to be grasped in the future that we're striving for. I'll give you this really clear passage. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Because it tells us when we're not happy or when we're not rejoicing, there's a key to this, to where we can get to a place where we actually have perspective, enough to be joyful. The writer of Hebrews, after talking about how Jesus has come as a more excellent sacrifice, gone into the heavens, purchased for us our, our uh, salvation, talking about former saints in chapter 11 that have been true and joyful, even unto death. And he starts in chapter 12, and he says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. That joy, that word for joy is, guess what? Kara. Same word. So when he's looking under the cross, there's joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have not and have you, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Now, he's going to go so far as to say it's actually a good thing to rejoice in when you are chastised or chastened or disciplined by the Lord. And he says this. It says, uh, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. 
etc., etc. Now, the scripture on the screen is actually from the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version of the Bible is a great version of the Bible that helps enhance the flavor of the Greek language in the English. So it expands on words, and, and when you see like a word and, and it's in italics, it, it says this word in English, or in the Greek, is actually meant by these words connected together. And so look at that. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize or kara that was set before him, endured the cross. Verse three, just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Now, if there's a, a day for Jesus to be or a season for him to be just total Scrooge, that would be it, right? Looking at the cross, experiencing the cross, all the horrific things that he endured. Separation from his father. I mean, if there's a reason for Jesus to come and be the, 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 the bummer to the party. This was the time. But he was able to rejoice. It says, we're to think on him when we're discouraged. Who endured. Now this, in, this word endured is hupomeno. And basically it's two words. And it means this. It means you're, you're under the weight of something. Heavy. You're under the weight of something. But you're remaining there steadfastly. Okay? He endured the cross. He, uh, just as the... Uh, just as the persecuted or the, or the sentenced criminal would bear the weight of his crossbar under the place of crucifixion, he literally endured the cross that was put upon his shoulders. Why? Not because he was sinful, just the opposite. He wanted to save you and me who were. And he bears that cross and he goes all the way through that whole experience. But there was something leading him, something motivating him, something that gave him something to rejoice in. And what was it? It was something in the future that he was aiming for. And it's no different for us. This is the key, you guys. When you're going through it, the heat of the trial, you have to consider Jesus, who you could see suffering by choice. This is the main difference in my mind. He's choosing suffering, and he's enduring it. He's holding it up. He's not running from it. He's enduring it. Why? Because there's something ahead of him that's greater than the suffering that he's experiencing. And that's our key. That's what happens for us. That's the truth for us. Is you got to remind yourself, what's the joy? What's the prize ahead? Why am I trudging through this life and suffering? Uh, aren't, I, aren't I supposed to be free from suffering as a child of God? Doesn't he love me after all? Look to Jesus. Consider him who endured the cross. He was able to hold it up. He didn't leave. Praise God he didn't leave. He held it up for you and for me. So what was the pride? What was the joy that was before him, that was set before him? I think it's twofold. One, in my opinion, is it was just reconciliation, not reconciliation. Well, never mind. Theologically, it's probably misleading. Um, the first part is he was going to be reunited with his father. He was going to be at the right hand of the father. It says right there. He was going to sit at the right hand of the Father. That's where he longed to be. Jesus knew how great it is to be right there with the Father. And there's a key there for us. You, as a Christian, are headed for the good ending, which is what? You're going to be with the Father. And the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of that when you're going through things that seem crazy. So that what? So you'll end up with joy in your heart that is bigger and stronger and more powerful then the opposite, which is despair, elongated depression, hopelessness, all those things that rob us of joy. What's the joy? Onefold, he was going to be with the Father. Twofold, he was looking at your face and the face of his bride, the church. And he's like, I 
am going to be with them. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be with me. We're going to be together forever. They're going to enjoy each other's company forever together. That's the happy ending Jesus had in front of him. There's more to it, I'm sure. This is one man trying to guess what the prize, what the joy really was for the Savior. But I can very confidently say it included you guys. And in knowing that, doesn't that just change the whole tide of your thinking when you're in the middle of suffering? When, when nobody would expect you to be joyous, you're able to say, I have every reason to rejoice even though this is happening. And, and by the way, when, you, when I say this, there's a, there's a danger for you guys to say, okay, I'm just going to really try really hard to hold up my burdens like Jesus did. What's the fruit or who does the fruit come forth from? Patience and perseverance, self-control, where you're not fighting or flighting, but you're, you're just saying, I, it's okay. Even if it's chastening from the Lord, it's for my own good. That's a gift from the Spirit. You're not trying to bulk up, so to speak, in your spirituality so you can be stronger. You're trying so hard to fall on your face and cry out for the Spirit to empower you. Huge difference between the two. One leaves you despairing or prideful, like Brian's been sharing about all these weeks, and the other is total desperation where he answers your cry. You with me? You know the difference? There's a trap in one where you get focused on yourself. I'm going to hold this up. I'm going to grin and bear it. I'm going to get through this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out this joyful. You know, and there's another where you're just like, I am weak. I can't hold this up. This is too heavy for me. I can't even think or even want or desire happiness right now. This is overwhelming. That's where you're just going, Spirit, Jesus gave you to me. The Father sent you to me as third person of the Trinity. You're in me. Pour out your work in my heart. Give me a reminding of the end prize, the joy to be had of being your child. And some of us have been Christians for a while, and we've forgotten what it's like to be joyous because we're safe. Or, or cry out to the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, move. Bring forth the fruit that you want in my life. So thus, joy is a fruit that often comes through enduring, and it can be present even though we simultaneously battle fears, depression, sickness, discouragement, etc. By the way, if you experience these temporal emotions of, of depression or even elongated seasons of it, where you feel defeated or discouraged or depressed, there's nothing wrong with you, so to speak. You're not a second-rate Christian, you're not missing out on something that other people have monopoly of, okay? If you look around and everybody's smiling and you're the one that's depressed, there's not mean there's something wrong with you, but there's a place to look, Jesus, right? There's a place to look. And sometimes we can get confused with that. Wow, I'm experiencing grief. I'm experiencing depression. Uh, I'm experiencing fears. And I, as a Christian, I'm not supposed to have them. That is just a sign for you to cry out even more for the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's your warning signal. So these things will cease. Eventually, they will cease. Eventually, the bigger ending will win out, even in places like Japan. But our greatest joy, our prize set before us is him. We'll be with him forever. We can even see death lose its sting. He is our greatest joy. The Bible says that the right hand are his pleasures forevermore. In his presence, guys, we're, we're just going to be overwhelmed. 
with the goodness of God forever and ever. So the important reminder is just simply this. Joy is with the rest of the fruit is of the Spirit. And thus it's not of us. The Amplified Version, again, is really helpful. Check this out. This will be really hopefully helpful for you guys. When we look at the Amplified Version of, of, of chapter 5, verse 22, and looking at the fruit, says this, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the work which his presence within accomplishes is love, joy, gladness, peace, patience. You catch that? It's not you. It's a gift. It's fruit of his Holy Spirit. It's his working in you so that it can be yours. So joy, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, occurs naturally from branches that, are, that abide. But first of all, I want to I go over some things. You know, this concept is not foreign to us. Of, of really kind of seizing a future joy to be had. And you guys know these, these things well. I just want to just give you the normalcy of this, that it, joy is just, it's, it's really common, the experience of this future joy and, and really getting a hold of the picture of the prize before you. And here's a few ones uh, for you guys that are actually plainly spread out in the gospel, in the Bible, where we do this, where we withhold, we, we endure, we hold it up for elongated periods because of a future joy. And one is childbirth. Now women, moms that have had childbirth, even C-sections, no different. You're still suffering through it. It's, it's not like you would necessarily choose of all the options to have pain of childbirth, right? It's not like you're like, wow, I'd, what I'd really love to see happen is me to suffer physical pain as much as possible. But you endure it, Right? My precious wife, we had a 10 7. 10 pounds, 7 ounces. Wow. Yeah, if you've never had kids, that's a big baby. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember thinking, this ain't so hard. <laughs> he was our second baby. But she still had another one. She didn't, like, make me sleep in another room permanently, just in case, you know. Why? Because the joy of your child makes childbirth pale in comparison. Simple application, but it's a good reminder. We have them all in our lives. It should point you to the greater joy of what we're talking about. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross was ugly, but Jesus did that for you. Another one, athletic training. Um, for you runners, um, I'm not going to put myself in that club yet. Um, I do. <laughs> My wife started running. Um, the, the first mile is, is horrible, isn't it? You guys run a mile, and you're like, why am I doing this? This is the most, I mean, you get, you get it's just like, I'm not going to make it too. And then, fortunately, we have each other to run with most of the time, and it's like, do you want to quit, or can we get to mile two, and are you feeling better? And no, not yet. When is it supposed to kick in? These endorphins are are being kept from me, but there's an athletic training. When you're weightlifting, same thing. Uh, you don't pleasure in the process. You know there's a future joy. It's not foreign to you. Working in a job you don't particularly care for. I used to dig ditches. I didn't like that. I used to go through tunnels of dirt, and, and when I got home, I got a whole bunch of brown stuff out of my, each nostril every day. It was just gross, and I'm like, what am I doing this for? Oh, yeah, paycheck. <laughs> I could do this because they're paying me somewhat better than I would make at McDonald's or something like that. Uh, same thing, same prize, same concept. 
Another one, farming, vineyards, that's throughout the scripture, right? You, you plant, you work hard, and you enjoy the, the process of, of getting fruit. Saving money, investing, you're putting away somewhat of your personal pleasure now for future. One day I hope to do that as well. Um, and, then, and then on the spiritual side, and all seriousness, you guys, it's work. You have to keep the prize in focus when you're in your relationships with other people. Your spouse, your kids, your roommates, your friends, your siblings, your grandparents, I don't care what it is, you have to have a greater prize in mind when you suffer through the process of, I'm sorry, I forgive you, right? You have that prize in mind and therefore you go through holding up that which is necessary to get through it. So happiness can be present in the process but the prize that is to come makes it meaningful. So let's turn out in our Bibles a couple things. We just have about five minutes or so. I just want to go to John 15. Actually, John 14, because there's really cool stuff in here. If, uh, if you've been with us, if you're a young professional and you're not currently involved in the young professional study we have on Monday nights here, I'd encourage you to come. We're actually in John 14 right now, finishing it up. And there's some amazing things in here that would encourage us as far as the Holy Spirit and who he is and all that he does. And I just want to, by way of reminders, we're talking about fruit of the Spirit, take you to John 14, verse 12. And it says uh, in chapter 14, he's, this is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. And by the way, as, as, as kind of an entry encouragement, this is like 10 out of 10 on the encouragement scale. Peter just, he just identifies Peter as the one who's going to dis, uh, deny him three times. At the end of 13, he says, uh, he says Peter goes, Lord, uh, where are you going? Because he says, I'm not going to be with you very much longer. And, and Peter wants to know, where are you going, Jesus? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you should follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay, I'll lay down my life for your sake. He makes this bold assertion of his future faith that won't let him down. You know, totally taken on, I got this, God, I'll hold this up. Depend on me not knowing that he's forsaking the Lord's power in doing so. And Jesus right there says, Peter, I'll tell you the truth. Before rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Or you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And right after that, I don't like this break in the commentary but, or in the, in the translators because right after that, what does 14 start with? Let not your heart be troubled. In verse 38, his response is Jesus answered him. Peter, even though we've established you're going to deny me three times, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's the joy to be had, guys. Your destination, even in your worst moment of failure, is still promised by the Savior. If you're in Jesus. Doesn't that encourage you? Isn't that a 10 plus in the 10 encouragement scale? Even at your worst, when you're denying him like Peter, Jesus can still say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be discouraged. There's reason to have re rejoicing going on right now. Why? Because I'm going to continue to pour my blessing. Even into eternity, you're going to be with me forever. It's unbelievable. Verse 12, he says, most assuredly I say to you, 
He who believes in me, the works that I do, will he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you. How long? How long is the Holy Spirit going to be abiding with you, dwelling with you? Forever. So you can bank on his presence, in other words. He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jump over to 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to just pause right there. That word, the helper, the Holy Spirit, there's a whole lot of Greek in this. And these are the words that are helped to describe what he means when he says the helper or the counselor in some of your versions. The implied in this Greek word is counselor, parakletos. Counselor, helper, advocate, strengthener, your standby, your leader in all truth. He's the one who leads us to Jesus. He says, this is who I'm giving to you. This is the Father who's going to send this to you to be in you. He is a person. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So, my little addendum to the end of that, so that you can have joy in all seasons. Holy Spirit's in you, wants to bring fruit from you, wants to increase that, so you're reminded why you can rejoice even in the worst of trials. And so it's not insulting to tell somebody, hey, there's an end of this story that's good. It's, ver it's very, very, very appropriate. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to be our helper, to be our counselor, to be our advocate, to be our strengthener, standing by when we need comfort, help, assistance. So cry out to him for that. Cry out for the love to flow through your heart to other people. Cry out for joy to be there despite circumstance. In John 15, he goes in, he basically gives us the key to that, which is just abiding in him. In verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much joy. Just put it in there. Or bears much love. Put it in there. Bears much forbearance. Put it in there. Bears much kindness, bears much self-control. Abide in the vine as a branch, and then it will happen. And then there's this crazy part, and this is the last part. Verse 27. Highlight it. You'll need it. it says, peace I live with, or I live with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives us is his own peace. What kind of peace did Jesus have to give? What kind of peace as he went through the cross did Jesus experience? What kind of joy amidst the suffering did Jesus partake of? And he's saying, you know what? I'm not gonna give as the world gives. It's gonna be yours and I mean it and you're gonna get it in abundance and you're gonna be able to rejoice and you're gonna be able to have peace and you're gonna have love in abundance. So it's, our joy is Jesus' joy dispensed to us via the Holy Spirit. Do you see how this works? The Holy Spirit dispenses it to us. It's not in and of ourselves. Now, in closing, we need the gospel 
We desperately need the gospel, that reminding of our joy, our prize, that we're going to be with Jesus. We need that continuously in our lives. We need to be continuously reminding other saints, other people that don't know him, that are despairing, that have no hope, have no joy, and we go to him with this, that the gospel is true today as it is, ever will be, as it ever was. The gospel is true today. And there's this thing about uh, preaching the gospel to ourselves that brings forth this joy we're talking about. The emotion of joy and the, to be held ultimately to be grasped when we're united with the Father joy and that prize that we're shooting for. And Milton Vincent, he wrote a book called The Gospel Primer. And in it, he, he put together, it's kind of compiled as it were uh, like an Oswald, um, I always want to say Sanders, Chambers, uh, Upmost for His Highest or uh, Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, like those little kind of paragraph books where they're put together on a daily basis. And this is the same as Milton Vincent. He's a, a pastor down in Riverside. And praise God, God's moving in Riverside still, so that's awesome to know because I'm from there. Um, he's a pastor there, and he wrote this gospel primer. And check this out. I mean, this really wrapped it all up for me. And the guys, you guys can come up, the worship team, because we're going to rejoice. We're going to have an opportunity to rejoice together right now. And Milton Vincent says this, applying the trials and joy. He says, more than anything else I could ever do, the gospel enables me to embrace my tribulations and thereby position myself to gain full benefit from them. For the gospel is the one great permanent circumstance, love that, one great permanent circumstance in which I live and move. What is he saying? He's saying I compare all my circumstances to that permanent one, and thereby comes a perspective. There comes the joy. He says, and every hardship in my life is allowed by God only because it serves its gospel purposes in me. And when I view my circumstances in this light, I realize that the gospel is not just one piece of good news that fits into my life somewhere among all the bad. I realize instead that the gospel makes genuinely good news out of every other aspect of my life, including my severest trials. The good news about my trials is that God is forcing them to bow to his gospel purposes and do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. Preaching the gospel to myself each day where he's reminding himself of what God's done in coming, come and dying, coming and rising from the dead, come and giving the Holy Spirit to us, come and promising us forever with the Father, all those things and more. Preaching the gospel to myself, that truth each day provides a lens through which I can view my trials in this way and see the true cause for rejoicing that exists in them. Not after they're done. Not one day when I get healing like I want. Not one day when this trial or life is over. We're talking now. That exists in them. I can then embrace trials as friends and allow them to do God's work, good work in me. That pretty much sums it up. So joy now, emotionally, absolutely. Even when I'm going through the hardest of trials, absolutely. It's totally appropriate. Why? Because the truth of the gospel is true. We're no longer earning God's favor or trying to unsuccessfully. It's just simply the gift we receive, and thereby looking unto Jesus, considering him who endured the cross, for the joy that was set before him, we likewise can do likewise, which happens naturally in our lives in so many ways already. We just don't necessarily attribute it to this. There's that two kind of both sides of that coin. 
as joy of the Spirit is what we cry out for. So would you join me in rejoicing? There's going to be some amazing lyrics on the screen. You guys, amazing lyrics for a reason, because it points to the amazing gospel, right, that's true for us. So let's pray. Let's cry out to the Holy Spirit that joy and all the fruits of the Spirit would be ours in abundance through Christ, through his Holy Spirit. So Father, we just thank you that you have promised us that we don't have to strive for the Spirit's fruit to be in our lives. We just have to depend and cry out and submit and walk with you, abiding in you. And I pray, God, that as we do that, that you would just fortify our souls, fortify our hearts, that we could consider Jesus when we're most discouraged, when joy is the last thing we would think would come forth within the trial. And God, I I pray that all of us, Lord, whether it's devastation in another country, threats of war, diseases that are diagnosed in our account, trials that come up, Lord, that we would always have a greater ending, a greater picture by which to, to put those events, those circumstances by which we can rejoice in them and call them our friends. So Lord, bring forth joy even in this place, that even the joy of our salvation would come forth this morning, that we wouldn't be ashamed of letting out a little shout because you deserve it that we wouldn't force anything or manipulate you in any way or try and be emotional for the motion's sake, but simply wait for the Spirit to come down. We love you, Holy Spirit. We cry out to you, Holy Spirit. We submit to you, Holy Spirit. Help us not grieve you, Holy Spirit, but to receive all the fruit that you want to bring forth from our lives. Submit to Jesus. Love you, God.